This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, let's fly apart at the seams. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show where we're putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gep and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi. And this week, I don't know what to call it, really. It was one of those, like, some good ideas and then bad execution or no execution, really. Just some interesting ideas. <laughs> I think it's a case of, oh, we only have 20 minutes to do an episode? Uh, well, we've got these ideas. Let's just put them together. <laughs> this is something that I hear old-timey people which that's why did i say it that way this is something that i hear people talking about with original series when like people who grew up with it or or saw it in its original runs on tv and they're like oh it had such cool ideas it's like you never knew what you were gonna see from week to week that's like okay but they didn't do anything with those ideas (laughs) they didn't explore them in any way they presented them to you and then wrapped them up with a nice little 50s Christian message and moved on. In some ways, it's sort of like uh, you know, your kindergarten sort of uh, education. It's like, we're going to hint at these things that we'll go into a lot more detail later. But we're kind of afraid of like making you like hate everyone because the world's awful and things <laughs> like that. So uh, yeah. we'll uh, make put a good spin on it instead. Yeah, they have to introduce you to it slowly. So by the time you realize the world's awful, you're numb to it and don't want to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Bem. Yeah, so this episode is called Bem, B-E-M. Yeah, the, uh, the, the why of that a bit more later, other than the why of it involves one of the characters. Yeah, I mean, we'll go into the why a bit in a second here, because there's no guest stars, so we'll have to talk about something. <laughs> this <laughs> is, right. um, I believe this is the final episode we're going to get to that was written by David uh, Gerald. He wrote... Trouble with Tribbles, more Troubles, more Tribbles, all the Tribbles. Yes, including uh, Deep Space Nine's Trials and Tribulations. He's got some uh, credits there, but uh, he wasn't like, actually not writer on that. I like all the Tribble <laughs> stuff, Hugo and Nebula Awards, big time sci-fi dude. Probably like my fa- one of my favorite like actual like Star Trek show writers. One of the people who realizes that this is a comedy masquerading as high drama sci-fi. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I will give him credit that uh, when he did uh, tackle uh, an episode of Babylon Five, it was a bit more on the drama side, even if there was was some humor involved as well. So, <laughs> and there's no guest voices; it's just Nicole Nichols and James Dewan again. Yep, and uh, Nicole Nichols' uh, particular voice there. Um, I have, I have an idea about that later, but we can do that after we talk about you know, what happened in the episode. <laughs> I wonder if it's the same idea I have. <laughs> so, bam. <laughs> yeah, so um, I just thought it was interesting that the only note about guest stars is that there's a character called Bem, who the t- thing's named after. Um, bem is scriptwriter shorthand for bug-eyed monster. Yes, so, well, yeah, what is a bug-eyed monster, Gapwin? big green alien of the week that you can shoot at this is like Bleh. kind of um is this also specifically about the type of uh alien of the week you know generally something with you know eyes perhaps on stalks 
that's all like spooky and you know is you know wants to eat you or steal your woman or whatever sort of like 30s to 50s sort of vibe you want there as far as you know big bad that the strong art uh, jawed um, hero needs to go and tackle and that was the original concept that uh <laughs> gerald had for this character was that you have one of these but it's an actual character like okay mm-hmm. cool star trekky um apparently filmation had the final say on character designs and they just came back with a normal humanoid looking alien dude who's green yeah, he doesn't have much as way of high stocks here, so that's a little disappointing. Yeah, he looks vaguely like the creature from the Black Lagoon. He's kind of green and got sort of this web thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> as far as aliens go, he's kind of cool. He's one of he's, he is a more alien-looking dude in a rubber suit alien, so I'll give him that. And he has weirdly expressive eyebrows. So that's, it's one of those things I was kind of mesmerized while I was watching this, just how they're going to move today. <laughs> And I think that's it, except for some trivia we can get into at the end. Because there's trivia. This is one of those trivia things. Holy like, smokes. if you're ever in a Star Trek trivia thing at, at a bar, when you can do that again, go to the Star Trek trivia night, they will ask you this. Well, uh, maybe we could uh, get in some shuttlecrafts and just sort of, like, do, like, a, a drive-in uh, sort of trivia night where we all sit in a field together and, uh, you know, communicate through all their, our, our, our communication devices or our shuttles or something like that. Yeah, answer by honking in Morse code. Yes. <laughs> or, or or do it like a Captain Pike in his chair. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, I guess we've got no, nowhere to go but forward, so... The way out is through. That's a Blake 7 reference. Anyway. <laughs> the Enterprise is on a series of exploration and contact missions. Pretty standard stuff for exploratory ships, I guess. And on board, they have brought with them an independent observer from a recently contacted species named Ari Bimbum. Ari Bimbum. There's no vowels in his middle name. Yeah. Spelled like B-N. Bin or Ben or Bon or Boin or something like that. Uh, it's just B-N. So they have arrived at a newly discovered M-class planet that has a possible native population. Ah, oh, sweet. That's a, uh, you know, prime directive uh, ourselves out of here then. Kirk is just going over how this is a super risky mission and they need to do everything by the book for their safety and to avoid contaminating the local population. And then they arrive at the transporter room and find Bem already there inputting coordinates for them. Oh, is, is he some sort of go-getter who's uh, like, I'm going to do all the things and uh, sort of get in the way because I'm trying so hard? No. Oh, okay. Because Kirk is incredulous about this because Bem, who's supposed to be an independent observer, has done no observing. He's been in his quarters the whole time. But now, the most dangerous mission they've gone on so far, he suddenly pops up and he wants to observe. Uh, Okay, then. Uh, Well, at least it's going to be an interesting one. Um, Stand in the back, please. Ben's really insistent and he can't get rid of him. So, uh, Scotty thinks the coordinates look okay, so Kirk, Spock, Scotty, and Sulu, as no lines but is there, beam down. <laughs> Stand there and look amazing, Sulu. Okay, sir. The coordinates were exactly right, except that Kirk and Spock materialize in midair over a lake. Whoops. Um, maybe we shouldn't set our coordinates right next to a lake. But how would you get a picturesque scene? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you need to set your coordinates someplace... That looks good for the establishing shot. So, uh, establishing shot more important than personal safety. Got it. Uh, 
I'll, I'll get. I'll. I'm going to create a Star Trek. Uh, you know, a field guide uh, one of these days. So, <laughs> so Bem jumps in to save Kirk and Spock, and underwater, his legs come off. Oh no, he's going to dissolve in the water. And his legs, have, which have tiny little arms coming out of the top, tiny little green wobble arms. Uh, his legs walk over to Kirk and Spock, use the tiny little leg arms to take their phasers and communicators and replace them with fakes, and then return to the rest of Bem. That's a little weird. Scotty gets a call from Uhura, who's now running the ship. She is the fourth in command here, which I thought was fun. <laughs> when Kirk, Scotty, and Spock are gone, Uhura is in charge. Excellent. Uhura, uh, you know, uh, straighten out the ship and, uh, you know, and uh, see what you can do about, uh, you know, only getting Scotty and Sulu back. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's in command now. Bye. I'm sorry, I left the rest of the bridge crew. I mean, they died, tragically. <laughs> yes, they were... Uh, uh, the, the Observer guy, yeah, he like ate them or something like that. He was like some sort of big-eyed monster anyway, so you know. So the ship's detected a low-level sensor field over part of the planet. Seems to be fine, but, you know, FYI. It's a thing. Just keep an eye on it, you know. The party moves on, finding themselves in a rainforest that Spock seems to think is too young for the planet geologically. I didn't understand this line. Anyway, Spock thinks something's off with the evolution of life on the planet. Oh, this a mystery is going to unfold. Uh, maybe Ben will have some insight into the uh, the dynamics here they wouldn't actually have otherwise, and uh, they'll uh, solve it and everything will be great. Or, or, and hear me out, this is the animated series, and we'll never mention it again. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Bem detects a group of life forms ahead and runs off. The crew chase after him, but he is able to gain distance and then disassemble himself, his head, torso, arms, and legs all floating separately through a really dense patch of impassable plants. Now, I have to, when I saw this bit, I, I was having flashbacks to a particular episode of the animated Beetlejuice um, uh, cartoon there uh, where uh, yeah, Beetlejuice got uh, his various limbs and things like that detached and captured by like, all his uh, main enemies and things like that. And uh, the, the higher episode is about a quest to go and try to lo uh, locate them. <laughs> and uh, are we going to have some wacky hijinks like that where we have to go reassemble our, uh, our wandering crew member? There could be wacky hijinks. This is I don't know how wacky to call this episode. It's certainly <laughs> hilarious to me. Though Kirk's confused how Ben made it through all the impassable plants because they just see him on the other side, and they have to go around. Dang brambles. But on the other side of the brambles, a group of lizard people with spears have captured Ben. Oh no. Oh, oh okay. Um, should, should we do anything about this, or should we just leave him here? Uh, well, first we have to find out that I'm not sure when this happened, but Kirk and Spock are now separated from the rest of the ground party. Um, but also the sensor field is expanding, so Uhura orders Scotty and Sulu back to the ship for their own safety because they have to leave. And yeah. like, it's great. Scotty's like, oh, but what about the captain? Uhura goes like, those are orders, mister. <laughs> Get back up here. Stop being all gaga about Kirk, you know. We actually like, <laughs> are going to follow the rules for once Once I, when I'm in charge here. So get up here. Then you'll be in charge. Then you could break the rules. <laughs> so meanwhile, Kirk and Spock are weighing their options in this situation. They could beam Bim back to safely. Beam Bim. 
That's a hard thing to say. They could beam Bim back to safety. <laughs> but of course, this is all predicating on whether their communicators work, which they discovered don't because they're fake. Dun, dun, dun. And also their phasers are fake. So they have some limited options here. So uh, maybe we should try to uh, meet back up with the uh, the rest of the, uh, the folks there and uh, say, hey, our stuff has been replaced. Does your stuff work? So basically they decide they don't have any choice but to follow Bem as he's taken off to the Lizard Village because they aren't going to be able to find him again necessarily. So doubling back isn't even an option. At least like we could go back. It's like, no, we'll never find him again. So, uh, so let's go rescue this guy who uh, ran off and got himself captured. So Bem is being held in a wooden cage in the center of the village. Now these wooden cages are very, very, very fragile looking, to be honest. Like, okay, so maybe you got, you know, some special alien uh, sinews or something like that to tie up the, uh, the sticks together. But, like, if you just get, you know, you get one bit of it loose, you'll be able to, like, fit your entire body through without disassembling. So, yeah, these cages don't look that threatening, but it's also animation. So they are going to be basically titanium uh, cages that you need an actual tool to uh, open up. Yeah. They also have giant holes, so like, I've seen yeah. these cages and things before, and they always have these giant, giant, like, spaces between the bars. Here's something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily know. If you hold out your hand in sort of the, like, you know, cool rock symbol, but not quite, like, extend your pinky and your thumb as far apart as they can, that is the space you can fit through physically. So uh, basically, uh, you know, get some devil, you know, devil horns going on there, and you can, you can go through that at that portal in, in into to freedom. There, we yeah, go. that's an old caver trick. Like you can physically fit through anything that wide. Just takes a little work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'll have to to you know manage your way through there, but you can. So, in don't don't make a cage that's that big, because. Uh, now, this does remind me a little bit of that one uh, shot uh, uh, bit from, I think it was uh, Hot Shots Part 2, where there's a guy in a cage and you know, he's like, oh, oh, oh no, the, the keys there or whatever it was, uh, was dropped too far away. I'll just reach out my entire body out of my own cage in order to get them to throw the magic. <laughs> so, Kirk and Spock have to wait until night to sneak into the village and rescue Bem. Uh, Bem says that he's just observing, and being captured is as good a way to observe as any other. Oh, um, uh, weird, but, uh, okay. Uh, do you know what happened to our communicators? <laughs> so Kirk's really annoyed and starts getting Bem out of the cage, but they are immediately noticed and captured by the lizards. Well, uh, I guess the lizards are really good at hearing, maybe? Or at least they, at least they can hear their cages being opened up very easily. Maybe they smell, like the, the tongue thing. Oh, yeah. Because they do have a like, long tongue thing going on there. By morning, Kirk is questioning how he keeps finding himself in these situations. <laughs> this, this trend might be, uh, well, a trend you should actually investigate, uh, uh, Kirk, uh, so you don't continue uh, following this pathway. <laughs> and Bem is uh, displeased because they've had a failed rescue attempt. They didn't prevent him from getting captured. They didn't rescue him. And also they keep needing communicators and phasers to do things so disappointing you're not just amazing at all things without any tools oh so we're going to condemn you forever for not being perfect and ultimate beings he's like fine if you want your stupid toys and then he detaches his legs walks out of the cage 
hands them to Kirk and Spock, and then walks back. So, uh, we just saw that. Uh, what do you think, Spock? <laughs> no, Spock goes, oh, Bem is a colony creature. And Kirk is like, Bem, you could have left whenever. What's, what? What the f- what's happening? Why are you doing this? Good question. <laughs> so apparently Bem is here to just test the abilities of the Enterprise crew and report back to his people. And so far, not great. So uh, I guess we're not colony creatures that can just walk out of things easily like you can. Then cool. Kirk uses his uh, regained phaser to break out of the cage, which takes whole minutes. You're right. It's a titanium cage. You know, got to slowly melt these sticks. <laughs> the three begin an escape, but before they can get very far, they are stopped by a sparkly energy field with a female voice. Oh, well, uh, I didn't know this planet was uh, you know, protected by, you know, 1d6 uh, ultimate beings of power. Uh, chal- it challenges them for disturbing... The place that they protect, I guess, they're a little unclear. Uh, Kirk tries to explain that they're there to classify. And they go, classify? Who gives you the right to be here and classify anything? Which is a pretty uh, good that's point. That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Maybe we shouldn't be here. Maybe we are the assholes. <laughs> Kirk does not have a good reason. And said reason. <laughs> Kirk does not have a good reason for this at all. And uh, so she takes his phaser away. And they're taken back to their cage. Well, um, I guess we're stuck here forever then until the uh, lizard people decide to what to do with us. Um, this might potentially suck. So most of this episode, I've been pretty sympathetic to Kirk, which is pretty strange for me, if I'm honest, because Bem's an annoying, an annoying ass. But yes. in this situation, <laughs> Bem is like, you completely mishandled that situation, Mr. Colonialist Man, and I have to agree. Yes. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing here? We we're just here to study the native inhabitants. It's like, why? Um, um <laughs> Good good question. Um let me talk to Starfleet about that, please. <laughs> They'll have a good answer, right? So Kirk's also fairly understandably angry because without Bem running off, they wouldn't be in this situation at all. We could have observed them quietly from afar, and uh, we wouldn't be, you know, interfering with them directly. So, um, take that. But Bem isn't going to deal with these inferior mono-beings, nor will his people, and he disassembles and walks away. Well, uh, I guess we don't have to care about him anymore. Uh, Good day to you, sir. (laughs) Now alone, Kirk and Spock try to contact the entity that controls the planet, largely by opening the communicator and going, Entity. Entity. Hey, you there? But she's not listening. Or Kirk's stupid. One of those. Um, So Spock suggests that they pair their communicators together, increasing their power and making them more noticeable, but also burning them out very quickly. With our powers combined, we are Captain Communicator. Yeah, I I was... This works, and Kirk promises the entity that he and Spock will leave. So she tells him that the, uh, fine, just get out. You can contact the ship now and, and beam away. Yeah, so get out Kirk here. can't leave Bem here, so he calls Scotty and some guards down, which apparently the entity does not notice. So the entity might, is super powerful, but maybe not all-seeing. So they set their phasers to super, super low and wander off to find Bem. Uh, they do have to shoot a lot of lizard people, though. Aw, oh, man. It's cool lizard guys. They find Bem captured again. 
They save him and Bim is now depressed because he thought Kirk was inept, but now he's been rescued or something, so Kirk was right all along and Bim has failed, which he's never going to live down. So he has to, like, die now. Mm. The entity pops up again and goes, hey, you're shooting my children. Stop that. What? Stop. What gives? You said you were going to leave. And Kirk goes, well, this time I'm going to explain that if we'd left this idiot here, he would have continued messing things up. And she's like, haha, you are wise. So I guess uh, I don't have to be as bad as I was going to be. So that's cool. Seeing this, Bem's even more depressed. He's like, oh, no, now I have to disassemble myself and never work as a cooperative entity again because of this horrible failure. And the entity goes, no, that way you won't learn anything. Well, that's actually a good point. You know, if you're, you have this ultimate failure on your books, uh, you can at least learn from it because uh, at least no one died, I guess. I mean, we'll, we're going to talk about this, but fine. Vim's confused at the lack of punishment. The entity goes, punishment? Oh, you mean like revenge. That's only necessary when you can't learn. You've evolved beyond that. My lizard people haven't. I have to punish them for everything all the time. But you all are, are great. Uh, okay, then. Um, this got weird. Yeah. Vim understands this, and they're let go. Back on the bridge... Kirk orders that they send Starfleet a general quarantine to the planet, warning everyone to stay away and don't come anywhere close. Spock thinks that it's interesting that they met a god, I guess again. Yes. <laughs> uh, I keep running into these deities of various sorts. Uh, do, you, do you think they hang out sometimes? Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, did, we met this Kirk guy. Oh, I met him. And uh, yeah, his ship, too. What was up with that? I don't know. He just wander around and get in trouble. Maybe we should like start putting up signs and say, you know, if you know, you're this, from this Enterprise ship, go away, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Now I'm just imagining that Untitled Goose Game thing with the no no geese, but like with the Enterprise. <laughs> I should draw that. <laughs> I'll endorse this. <laughs> anyway, the, the entity calls them and goes, "Okay, go in peace. You've learned. You learned so much. It's great." Cool, uh, we've enlightened ourselves, and we never have to return to this planet again. Hooray! Yep, that's it. Okay, Star Trek trivia. If you're ever in Star Trek trivia, and they ask, when was the first time that Kirk's middle name was revealed? It was in the episode Bem of yep. the animated series. Because uh, the, the energy being like asks, like, what's your name? Who are you? And you know, it's like, I'm Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Yeah, because the Roman general name thing is going to really resonate. Uh, now, apparently, uh, it was sort of like in the, the series Bible previously, but it just never come up ever because it wasn't important. <laughs> yeah, but, it was uh, his name. That I think by episode two, I think there was something else first. I can't remember. It was always a T. Uh, but then they never just they never said it out loud until this episode. <laughs> Uh, unless you're looking, uh, uh, you know, back to the, uh, the the second attempt at a pilot for the for original Star Trek, there, uh, in which case it was like Jay or something like that. Oh uh, yeah, wasn't it Jay? <laughs> JJ Kirk. <laughs> My friends call me JJ. <laughs> I'm Captain JJ. Cool. <laughs> Cools for Kirk. <laughs> that would be the, that. Oh my God! I guess we're just lucky. We're like this was this started in the '60s when they weren't doing that. Next Gen started in the '80s. Like I, we don't want to see the like one that would have started in the '90s. <laughs> I know some of them did, but by then they were working off of the Next Gen model. They didn't have to rewrite anything. <laughs> yeah, didn't have to be cool and edgy for the kids these days. 
yeah. <laughs> I mean, DS9 tried to be cool and edgy for the kids these days, and their solution was war. Yeah, different sort of kids, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's depressing. All right, so I was, I was kind of... I, I know that in the episode, if we look at the text of the episode, the way that the stuff is presented, Bem says he's going to disassemble himself. The entity says, oh no, you will die. He doesn't correct anything. So I guess we can assume that this is some kind of ritualistic suicide. But if he's a colony entity and all he says is we'll never again work as a collaboration, doesn't that just mean that each bit of him is going to go off and join a different collaboration? And in theory, that could in fact increase the number of people that can learn from this mistake? Potentially, uh, unless there is some biological reason that this colony has to stick together and that they're not necessarily interchangeable with others. I mean, we don't know enough about them as a colony entity. True. So I'll say that. But it would have been much more interesting to deal with it as a colony entity that can, like he said, he's a co cooperation, which somewhat to me implies that there could be other cooperations or different like ways that the cooperation could form together or any of these other things and yeah, could that be, could have been a way more interesting thing to explore yeah there could be uh people on this planet with like 12 arms or 14 heads or something like that or uh, a whole bunch of eye stalks for some reason because you know he yeah he clearly doesn't have one <laughs> they could just have like a bunch of different things and then whenever they have to deal with an alien species they just assemble in a way that's most similar to whoever they have to deal with yeah, that'd be kind of cool actually it's like oh we need something that's vaguely hum humanoid all right um Play, okay, we need, uh, what we got here? One head, one torso, two legs, two arms. Get over here. Yeah, maybe some toes or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how, how uh, small the various bits are. And I, I guess uh, technical leg arms as well? Yeah, the little leg arm doodles. <laughs> <laughs> Though it could be that uh, most of their limbs are actually like, you know, you know, got hands or feet or something like that on both ends. So that's just how they attach. Just those arms are like inside, you know, hang out, you know, clinging to bits of the uh, the arms of the torso bit. Yeah, inside the other ones. I was wondering about that if they just have like torso arms hanging down and leg arms going up, and they're just holding on to each other the whole time. So uh, they're they're holding hands across America. <laughs> do they want a coke, or do they want to buy the world a coke? Maybe, um, maybe they want to buy the uh, lizard men. No, I, I should probably, we shouldn't call them lizard men specifically because, you know, being lizards, the, the, the sexual dimorphism is probably, you know, you know, very different. That's true. We don't see anything that looks sexually dimorphic. They don't have a bright colored chest. No one's doing push-ups to impress anyone. Yes. Uh, some of them have, uh, you know, more, uh, clothing than others, but it doesn't really suggest that they're covering up anything in particularly interesting. So, eh. Yeah. Not really. The clothing thing is interesting. It does suggest that they are uh, endotherms, because why else would you need clothing? Um, style. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, we just started wearing some clothes one day because uh, we thought it looked cool. You know, it makes yeah, you well, know, it messes with our temperature a bit, but you know. Maybe the god entity gave them whatever tree of knowledge equivalent, and now they're like, oh no, our shame. <laughs> Oh, great. Now we have shit. This sucks. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go invent pants now. <laughs> and thus, pants were invented. 
If you don't have to worry about uh, regulating your internal body temperature, the only reason you need clothes is shame. <laughs> hmm. Does, uh, unless you're uh, trying to uh, disguise that you're a colony creature like Bama, then clothing might be useful for that. So disguise. That is true. So costuming, style, shame, uh, body temperature regulation, uh, anything else we can come up with? <laughs> <laughs> uh, wealth signification. I guess it's kind of in the style one, but it's more of a uh, specific uh, usage of that. It's not necessarily mm. to, to look impressive for its own sake, its own aesthetics, but uh, to demonstrate that you are uh, superior or something to uh, other people. Well, I guess it could just be general class division. Maybe the different things, like you see some of them doing what we would think of as domestic tasks, and those tend to be the ones that are wearing more clothes. And they're obviously supposed to be coded female, so that you know that even in this primitive lizard society, you have, uh, I shouldn't say primitive, that's a loaded, stupid Western word, but anyway, in this uh, Stone Age lizard society you still have appropriate gender norms being upheld and you don't have to feel uncomfortable but maybe they just have a clothing representing a caste system and the weaver caste wears more clothing than the hunter spear caste does or uh, or maybe they you know uh have something that's like involves caustic chemicals and so having more clothing is useful for that that is true. Protective. We didn't get into like yes. that kind of protective clothing. Hey, we, we've had a, a discussion about the use of clothing in an episode, but we didn't really think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we could pull, pull out of this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the, I don't know, the God entity thing just, I think it was the way that, that uh, Michelle Nichols was doing a like kind of airy ethereally like oh i'm all godly voice mm -hmm. i just i just could not get gaia from captain planet out of my head <laughs> gaia played by ahura you know played by michelle nichols the spirit of the earth <laughs> <laughs> summoned uh, five enterprise crew members and this one alien who's a quality creature to go and basically leave actually <laughs> <laughs> so very much just go <laughs> i mean you do have the star trek connection it goes in the cartoon of course gaia was played by whippy goldberg and uh kwame was played by lavar burton both of whom were in star trek <laughs> so uh, it's 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 all come together man so uh you know uh captain planet and star trek are canonical with each other clearly yeah <laughs> Which I guess kind of maybe helps explain why the the West was kind of ignoring the eugenics wars to a certain degree. Yeah, because we got Captain Planet here and a bunch of supervillains that are all about pollution. So we're like really distracted by that just because we're like, what the heck, man? <laughs> I mean, I'm also like, just, just, I was just looking this up and it just so happens the guy who did the voice of Captain Planet was also an extra in Next Generation. <laughs> Man, the connections just keep building. Jeepers. They do. Also, remember how weird all the pollution-based villains on that show were? I mean, they could have been products of the eugenics wars. True. That is true. Because, you know, like, like I am the, the super businessman. I am the, the guy who, like, just wants to, like, chop down trees for some reason. <laughs> you know, I'm the, I'm the super genius of the computer lady. <laughs> We're going to have to go into this more in what is apparently going to become a spin-off show. Everything is Star Trek. <laughs> it's like the St. Elsewhere connection, but worse. <laughs> <laughs> Except we get to dictate it all. Yes. <laughs> Whew. 
So my my other idea about uh, the, uh, the 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 alien entity on the planet was that it's actually just a Hura. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know it doesn't really pop up until a Hura is there on the Enterprise, and then she's in command of the Enterprise. And suddenly, hey, there's a weird sensor thing going on over there, and it's growing, and it sounds exactly like me. But don't don't pay too much attention to that bit. It's all powerful, and uh, it's time for you guys to learn some lessons. <laughs> is this just a her playing a big prank like y'all have told me to answer the stupid communicator one too many times so i'm going to uh you know uh, work with this alien guy to uh sort out a situation where you're going to be out of communications range and you're going to have to like play nice with people for once <laughs> and if you don't i'm gonna freeze your ass <laughs> the kirk always kirk always criticizes me even when i'm doing things right so it's time to turn it about ho ho <laughs> and so uh so yeah it, it makes a weird bit of sense even though it's not really what they're trying to get across but you know it's it's fun to think about so uh once again you know gaia played by her played by michelle nichols <laughs> is how we connect this all together <laughs> i like it this is this is great like this is the only good thing in the episode anyway because they had a couple of ideas here and they didn't go anywhere with them even the gaia entity thing she's not paying any attention they don't go into this at all like like kirk's kirk gives her a de facto rights in this situation which is kind of interesting you don't know anything about the evolution of life on this planet you don't know if this entity is native to this planet or not the entity challenges kirk's right to be there and interfere with the people but only because she's already there interfering with them it's yep. like the English coming in and the Dutch already being there. And they're like, what gives you the right to us enslaving and, and occupying this land? We're already doing it. Oh, yeah, well, this is, we're fighters keepers. We already put our flag down. Um, go away, British people. Yeah, this is basically a, this is an interestingly colonialist idea. Like the, the rights and feelings of the native population do not come into this discussion. Yes, they're just sort of... Uh, terrain i guess <laughs> yeah whoever is there first and also the more powerful like if this alien entity had not been more powerful than the enterprise they would not be the de facto good guy yeah they'd be uh well we need to help uh, liberate this obviously being oppressed you know species here from this you know manipulative uh, you know you know uh, the doofus is wandered in here because we're this, you know, Star Trek Enterprise here, and we're going to be uh, doing the the thing with Jake that we usually do, and uh, you know, and um, c come on, uh, Harry Mud, but not Harry Mud, uh, stop messing with these people. Come on. So overall, you don't they don't get into the discussion, but it's like it, they do have a good point. Why does Starfleet get to come in and say that they have a right to like trespass and classify and do all this other stuff to these planets, which? actually gets us into sort of the orientalist argument of whoever whichever powerful nation gets to come in and do science in an area gets to define the people who live there because they're doing science on them which is pretty like you don't get the people who are there don't get to define themselves they're defined by an external colonial power which then sticks because that's what's in the books and just propagates itself. So you get a challenging of, you know, even something as basic as we're here to catalog planets, but you don't get any pushback on, well, why are you here? Oh, you're here to 
manipulate life on this planet to your own ends. Seems fine. All right, you're just playing Civilization. We just wanted to, like, look at things. Uh, I I think Energy being you might be the worst at, uh, option here, actually. Um, we'll leave, but could you also leave, please? <laughs> but I guess... They in, in both so, are wrong. Yeah, yeah. But I, no. Yeah, I will think, as, as far as the, the greater Star Trek, I guess, canon, as it were, which, of course, is always flexible and weird, um, there is... I guess a this is this sort of thing is very different than how they sort of approach these situations uh, for the most part in TNG, especially after the first couple seasons where things were kind of weird and still uh, Gene Roddenberry's uh, business here. Um, that's like, oh yeah, we're going to be sort of observing this planet from afar, or we're going to have the duck blind situation, or we're going to do some scans, and if we have to go on this planet, we're going to go in disguise. Uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, and then you also have a look at uh, things like, uh, you know, Enterprise, where you're like, okay, maybe we should be careful about this pre-warp civilization. And, you know, we're going to put on the disguises, but we're going to be really bad at it instead. <laughs> uh, and, and so you got sort of the, the original series era where it's sort of like, oh, we'll just go down and we'll try to just avoid people and it'll be good. And that'll be it. Uh, which is, I guess very much a evolution of the show as well as, you know, kind of hinting that, you know, in universe, there's some evolution between, you know, the, the, the captain Archer, we're occasionally trying to do this thing, but we're just bad at it. So maybe we just give up on it at some point and just try to do our thing and avoid direct contact if possible. And then Kirk kind of proves that that's not workable here. And then TNG comes around and like, yeah, we're actually going to be very careful and, you know, you know, if the we run into a planet that's like, yeah, we figured out you're watching us uh, go away, we will actually go away and everything will be good. So, you know, because we're actually trying to not interfere. <laughs> so I, I guess in some ways, bravo on trying to evolve the perceptions of uh, this sort of uh, behavior in the long run. But at this point, they don't they're, they're not they're not there yet. Well, we're going to have to have a very long and multi-episode discussion on the Prime Directive when we get to it later because right now it doesn't exist well it, it exists in in big quotes <laughs> what the, as the prime directive as everyone thinks of it is codified in next generation they have a lot of debates about it in next generation we can have debates about it in next generation <laughs> and some of the debates are good some of them are like head scratching and some of them are like huh <laughs> And uh, and so it slowly sort of evolves the, our perception as an audience of what this thing is, and they never sort of give us the exact text of it, but we can sort of imply what it's trying to at least get across at some point here. And now uh, continuing on into, like, continuing the vein of colonialism that we've gotten ourselves mired in here, the entity's explanation for punishment and such at the end of the episode, which is supposed to be the main thing they do, it's like, you're okay to do whatever because you learned from your mistakes and it's great it's getting into a really racist argument because this 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 lizard civilization that we're seeing here from all the signifiers and tools and things it's supposed to be like a stone age equivalent civilization which um and that's hard to pin down the stone age depending on where you are and which civilization you're dealing with lasted about uh, maybe a couple million years uh, from the early tool, tool users uh you know like proto-humans to well 
you know, there's still folks there, you know, you know, you know using uh, stone tools. They might know the modern world is out there, but they're like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, and stone tool use, generally, we kind of equate it with what we would call the primitive cultures, and it's a very racist way to, to distinguish cultures that matter from cultures that don't. But, like, even all the, like, major South American empires used stone-based tools. Mm-hmm. And not because no one in the Americas ever invented metal tools. In fact, they recently discovered that uh, some people in the Americas were, in fact, the first people to ever make metal-based tools. Nice. They just stopped for some unknown reason. Oh, maybe it wasn't seen as a, a viable alternative for some reason. Or, yeah, we got other stuff going on. It takes a while to make these things. And, well, they eventually use, wear out like, you know, other tools do. So why bother? Um, you know, there's a very different, uh, you know, circumstances, you know, going on in that part of the world compared to others that might make some things much more, uh, workable as far as, you know, you know, uh, general strategies go as far as, you know, getting your work done. Well, the general premise that we're left with here is we, we've divided the world into two sets of people according to the, uh, messages set out by the alien entity, which are broadly agreed on by the crew. So Kirk endorses the alien entity, therefore this is the appropriate message to take away from this situation. Uh, which is we've divided the world into two groups of people. Those who deserve to be punished because otherwise they can't learn, which is a very Skinnerian sort of uh, reinforcement model, a very behaviorist way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Or... Uh, the people who are more evolved, literally more evolved, they said you have evolved to this point. I think that they mean socially, but still, they say you are more evolved to the point where you can understand and learn from your mistakes without having to be punished, which is a more internalized model of, of being able to examine your own actions without a need of reward and punishment. So you've got Basically, you have a set of people who can only learn through extrinsic reward and punishment versus a group of people who are enlightened enough to realize that intrinsic motivations can can help them learn from situations. And they are very coded to advanced colonialist white people on one side and unadvanced Stone Age presumably non-white like in fact in the episode they keep calling them aboriginal which i think is just like was just an older term for native populations generally i think it's fallen out of favor more so now that they keep referring to them as an aboriginal population which uh is hard not to read into given the way that we treat uh aboriginal peoples in like uh australia so um, the the implication here is that like a non-white non-colonialist peoples just can't learn for themselves and need an external force to punish them or reward them into being able to learn. Both racist as well as very limiting and, and you know it, it is re- it reinforces the uh, sort of the status quo to a certain degree. Yes. But it's also limiting our ability to understand these people that the crew of the Enterprise has basically gone there to try to understand better. And so it's 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 kind of a weird situation where the alien being is not only just sort of 
going, oh, yeah, you don't study my people at all. But also I'm going to use a set of logics that's going to uh, imply that, oh, they're just these stupid lizard people and you don't worry about it. And uh, we're going to and they're 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 not worth your time because they're uh, they're unable to understand these concepts, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, what what the hell, uh, energy being? Come on. Well, it's this, it's this parent narrative of colonialism because you can see you as the colonialist are supposed to see yourself as a literally higher being who is doing the people that you're colonizing a favor because you're bringing them civilization and you're bringing them all these better ideas and you are training them to be a good upstanding person like you are, which is also how you wind up with all these horrible things like uh, forced erasure of culture and the forced educate, like the forced kidnapping and re-education of children and all these other horrific things that were done in the name of colonialism that were justified as good deeds in this sort of parental role that people were trying to frame themselves in. Indeed. In fact, in the episode, they keep referring to the native population as children of this godlike entity who is messing with their lives for fun and profit. Yeah, so so maybe the uh, the, the the bad guy really is the energy being. I know. How do we uh, how do we deal with this? We don't find out because we end the episode. Yeah. Well, the problem is the bad guy always is the energy being, but in this case, the energy being has the same motivations as the Enterprise and the supposed white American viewer. Yep. So you can't have the energy being be the bad guy because that raises some uncomfortable questions about what you and your country are doing. Yeah. Like, oh, we're just trying to instill a, a Protestant work ethic into these people by you know, making them slave away till they die. Uh, Good job. Well, uh, hey, at least we got a lot of natural resources out of the deal. And uh, That one looked like they enjoyed what they were doing for a second. Go get him. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... And we've talked a bit about how manipulative nonsense all of this is, uh, sort of in total, and that it is something that we as a society really need to get beyond. And so, you know, seeing this message pop up even in the 70s is still, like, disconcerting, but it also still pops up in stuff today. So, like, again. It really does. And I'm going to keep pointing it out, and people yeah. are going to get tired of it because I'm going to repeat myself a lot. But if we don't point it out, it just sits there. Mm -hmm. This is the problem. Like, you can enjoy stuff that has bad messaging. I don't care. Like, I enjoy plenty of stuff that has bad messaging. But you wind up endorsing it if you continue to ignore the bad messaging. Uh, yeah, it's, and to being able to identify this bad messaging is it's very much a skill. And one that we hope to, like, bring to folks here. Uh, and uh, ourselves need to get better at. Because, well, there are still, you know, potentially blind slots for both of us as well. Oh, definitely. I'm not going to pretend that there aren't, and I appreciate it when people point out things that I miss in these. I, I could uh, go a little bit on uh, some of the stuff I've been watching uh, as far as like more recent stuff that I've uh, been watching recently, but uh, we only have so much time here, and I don't have the time to go through the whole uh, you know background on both Counterpart and, and Fringe here right now. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Fringe, ow. <laughs> I, I gave the, the pilot episode a, a watch. I'm like, I'm not sure... I like some aspects of this, but other parts are like, Ugh. Huh. So, mm. yeah. I made it about a season and a half, which was way too much credit to give that show. Yeah. I know uh, people are fans of this, and I apologize. I just don't see it. 
it's like okay it's it's there's, there's some weird conspiracy stuff here going on and some super science stuff which i'm all about but there's still some okay there's some moments here where everyone here should have been fired and then maybe put in jail um yeah anyway <laughs> so uh and so uh that aside uh there is, yeah, it is a skill that's sort of identifying this sort of stuff that it does keep evolving because people are slowly kind of catching on that, oh, this is kind of a, a jerk move, but you know, the folks that still still have this thinking when they're creating works are still coming up, I guess, reactively going up with the, uh, new ways to sort of express it, that some of them are very, you know, subtle, some of them are very blatant. And, you know, the blatant ones are pretty easy to spot, but sometimes not even then. Uh, and but the, the, the subtle ones are a little bit more, I guess, um, insidious because it is potentially like, oh, yeah, everything up until this point makes sense. And we'll just kind of ignore this point and then we'll keep going. And then suddenly, well, you're going out there and uh, like uh, I ran into a fellow a number of years back who was like, yeah, of course we have to punish these people. How else are they going to learn how to have a civilization? I'm like, dude, dude, like where the hell are you getting this stuff? And so uh, we, I stopped hanging out with that guy after a bit. So, <laughs> well, from here, that's exactly what they said in this episode. So there yeah. you go. So, um, so yeah, so it's, uh, it's something to be concerned about as far as uh, media consumption goes. And uh, it is uh something that we should keep pointing out for, for here on out. So expect more of that. All right. Well, while we could talk about this all day, I'm sure the people listening might have somewhere to be. So it's probably time for the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's favorite game show. We got various contestants here. In fact, we got a lot more contestants than apparently we got on the, the roster here. Uh, this Ben guy is like five times at least here. Huh, interesting. Anyway, we got, uh, they've uh, been uh, racking up some prizes, uh, points here, and so we can get some, uh, hand out some prizes. Maybe we'll have a physical challenge later, but that's for uh, another season perhaps. Um, and let's get rolling here. So our first prize is the Visually Advanced Aliens Prize. It goes out to that protective entity because it can apparently freeze people and do some very wizardry sort of things. But it's also really inattentive and, you know, I guess it's kind of like your typical sort of deity. Just claims it's all seeing, but really isn't. Anyway, Gabbard, what does it win? They win some alien Adderall because... They seem to not be able to keep an eye on what's happening for even a couple of minutes at all. Like, okay, you leave, bye, more people beam down. 20 minutes later, you notice. <laughs> not much of a sensor web entity, is it? Despite it being made out of such. Hmm. Anyway, our second one is the Inept Collective uh, Prize, which goes to Bem for being a colony creature that's also kind of bad at his job because... He's bad at communicating and also causes practical jokes and gets everyone captured and can't escape himself. And, you know, the whole deal here. Uh, what does he win, Gepwin? Bem wins some, like, basic team building exercises. So his torso needs to fall backward with its eyes closed and see if his arms catch him while his legs, like, climb a rope or something. I kind of like to see that, actually. Because <laughs> yeah, some parts of him can uh, float, but apparently the legs have to walk everywhere. So, you know... <laughs> Our uh, third and final prize for today is the Appropriate Reaction Prize, which goes to Kirk for being super frustrated and generally annoyed at Bem and his antics. Because really, 
what he gets up to is uncalled for and, you know, puts him and Spock at unnecessary risk and, you know, whole breaks that whole prime directive stuff on top of it. What what does it uh, what does Kirk win here, Gepwin? All right, this time I'm just going to invent a thing because, like, they, they've shown aspects of all of these technologies throughout various Star Trek things. And they just need a thing that you can carry with you that you can, like, slap on someone that will restrain them and then beam them to the ship. Because they have these, they have the tags, they have auto beam out things, they have, like, futuristic restraints. You just need a little, little badge doodah and you just carry it with you on your belt and you slap it on someone and it just auto arrests them. It's actually a good idea. Um, also, didn't they use that in uh, Star Trek Insurrection, sort of? Uh, sort of. That was like, like this, a drone. Could just anyway. save you so much time. <laughs> yes. Just come here. <clears throat> oh, you're beaming away. Good. All right. Now we can get on with the rest of the adventure. And oh, that, that solves everything. All right. Uh, I guess we're, we're done here a little early. Uh, Though I think it would be hilarious to have them do that and not realize he's the compositive creature and only his torso beams away. It's like, oh. Huh. This is awkward. Hmm. I guess we're going to need a few more of these tags. Uh, come back here. <laughs> anyway, take us away, Gepin, before I, uh, I start uh, choking on my own uh, laughs here. <laughs> uh, thank you for hosting. Thank you, all of our contestants and all of our listeners, for joining us here on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Zooids, they're kind of cool, aren't they? Zooids, 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 like a zoon, like no, a like not not like a zoid, but with one more o. Zooids, zooids, zooids. They're like zoids. Uh, they're colony creatures that actually exist. Oh, <laughs> zoids, zoids, zoides, zooids, zoids, zoids, zoids. No, that's nope, that's no a R. zucchini salad. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, they're they're actually a thing. Uh, yeah, I I was trying to do some uh, research on them, but uh, I'm bad at molecular biology, so you know. <laughs> oh, that would be a problem. <laughs> uh, they're like a multicellular uh, critter that uh, that is actually a colony creature, and it's like different specialized uh, uh, critters. Uh, some of them like really kind of special, super specialized. Just hang out together and form up a, a larger being sort of that can like attach to fish and eat it Ooh, that's fun it's yeah, like so, a pokemon yeah so don't so don't get that on your face <laughs> so next episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah next episode we get the practical joker wait the joker it's more yeah. more batman references Seems to be something about hiding from romulans and then the ships gets invaded by some sort of practical joke alien oh that's uh potentially awkward uh hopefully everyone uh, manages to uh figure out the uh, the purpose of humor and uh, get the uh, the romulans to laugh for once <laughs> yeah <laughs> this episode only ends when a vulcan laughs <laughs> we might be here a while <laughs> sounds like a good idea i'm gonna write that down for like a star trek rpg challenge or something <laughs> and it can't be a ha ha it has to be an actual laugh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, this is one of the, this is an episode that's credited with coming up with the sort of general concept, if not principle, of the holodeck. Ah, cool. So, uh, so we're gonna have our first holodeck episode. 
Uh, maybe, yeah. Virtual evil Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln's back, this time in hologram form. <laughs> Which historical figure will show up and try to murder the crew this time? <laughs> Let's find out next week on Watches of Tomorrow. <laughs> Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, I hear Kirk is a jerk. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>